takes more than looking at your newly hired coworker's resume. For inspiration while writing your own to be a great <laughs> software engineer, this is episode 368 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast, and I am your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show about all the non-technical stuff that goes into the technical field of software development. Like, this is an advanced form of resume-driven development. It's like resume-driven yeah. hiring. You hire people who have good resumes, so then you can be inspired. I don't know. You hire people with good resumes. I mean, the fact that they were hired is a, is a data point enough that they were good resumes. So they it's are true. They're working with you. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to get your job, now you know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to acknowledge the crappy audio quality I have. I just uh, am away from my normal setup. So bear with me. If it turns out you only listen because of my microphone. We took away Jameson's high quality microphone because he was badly behaved this week. Maybe, maybe he'll get it back next week. <laughs> now I will find out how much you care about the words I say, not just the rich timber with which I say them. <laughs> All right. Shall I thank our patrons? <laughs> yeah, please. We want to say thank you to Trash Panda, the ComputerScienceBook.com, the Reelect Jameson Dance Boogie Brigade, the Reelect Jameson Dance Committee, Santa Hobart, Noah Fraser Logue, Kent C. Dodds, Jenny Kim, all capitalized, by the way, Jenny Kim. Thank you, Jenny Kim. Owen Shardle, Craig Motlin, I Love Mavis, the Stochastic Parrot, Alice Jost, Tuscarawas, Ohio, Patron.com, we're hiring, Ira Chan, Monkey Face Emoji, Jonathan King, WebTow, Awesome End-to-End -end Testing, Oladapafadiyi, Will Angel, Nick Hathaway, Braden Keynes, Travis Sanders, John Grant, Bartek Tatkowski, Cody, Professional Puzzle Solver Sale, Nick Cantar, and Philip John Basile. If you'd love to join this illustrious crew, go to softskills.audio and click the Support Us on Patreon button. And if you contribute enough, maybe Jameson can afford a better microphone. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll say your name on the show or whatever emoji or unpronounceable city in whatever Midwestern town in the United States of America you'd like us to say. Pretty much anything that's safe for work and fits in the Patreon field. And any dollar amount will get you access to our Slack community, which is now growing to within spitting distance of a thousand people of a lot of people who are just very interested, kind, helpful, and uh, actually very helpful, I'll say. I see a lot of questions getting asked. And it's just so weird that the Slack community is so off-brand because our brand is providing crappy answers to serious questions. And they provide serious <laughs> answers to serious questions. So it's kind of like the the free audio gets you the crappy answers, but if you want the real good stuff, you got to pay. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's all I got. It's it's a poor pitch for the good stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Such is life. Yeah. I had a great conversation with uh, someone I met through the pod or through the I guess through the podcast through the Slack today. So yeah. All right. Should I read our first question? Go for it. This is from an anonymous listener who says, "I'm a senior engineer working in a team of seven. My team lead went through a pretty rough divorce in December." Since then, he's been quite distracted and disengaged at work. I decided to help him out by temporarily taking on some of his responsibilities. Over the months, things seem to have gotten worse. He shows up late for the 10 a.m. stand-up meeting almost every day. He never contributes anything in stakeholder meetings. I am effectively leading the team at this stage. Last week, we had a one-on-one -on -one meeting to conduct my annual performance review. I wanted to discuss my situation and a potential promotion slash raise. Instead, he spent the entire hour crying about his life situation. Mm -hmm. He also shared with me that he had been heavily drinking and doing drugs for the past few months. He's clearly in a very dark place. Mm. I have experience with depression, so I was able to empathize and offer some advice. I genuinely feel bad for him, and I'm quite worried that he might not be okay. 
But now I'm in a difficult situation. I'm sleep deprived while trying to do the job of a de facto team lead manager as well as my regular senior IC role. I don't think anyone in HR or management is aware of what is going on. I don't know what to do about this. I feel that if I tell HR about the situation, I will be betraying his trust and might even get him fired, depending on how much I divulge. On the other hand, if I do nothing, then I'm the one who has to keep shouldering the burden without compensation. It's also negatively impacting the team as I have no management experience while simultaneously my code quality is suffering. This is putting me under a lot of stress during a time when I'd love to spend more time with my newborn. Oh my gosh. Sorry for the long and difficult question. Even if you don't answer it, at least I feel better for sharing this with someone. (laughs) That's until you hear our advice about it. And then you'll feel even worse. (laughs) This is intense. This is a rough one. This is a rough one. This is gnarly. Yeah. I, I just want to start by saying to the question asker, you are so kind and you're giving up a lot to help this person through a crisis. And I just want to say thank you. I think if the world had more people like you, that would be a good thing. Yeah. I mean, clearly they, your manager trusts you to, to share yeah. the rough stuff. I guess they didn't say where they're from, but if they're from the U.S., you, you traditionally only say all the great things that are happening yeah. in your life. And Yeah. Guaranteed, this manager gets asked, how are you every day, like 10 times? And the answer is always, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not great, though. Fine. Oh, goodness. Well, yeah, man, that is very rough. That is very rough. I'm just thinking through the... It's an interesting inversion, too, because this is a thing, not common, but you can deal with as a manager where someone who reports to you is having some really rough life experiences and it impacts them as a human, also impacts their work, and you have to kind of deal with it. But it's an added wrinkle. It's your boss. Yeah, it's your boss. In a management position, I would say most managers, most of the time, have one person going through a known crisis like this on their team but mm-hmm. having it be your own boss is a whole new level of like you said you're you, it's like i don't even know how to do people management i've never done this before <laughs> and now i'm trying to manage yeah. my team in to fill in for my boss and my boss needs a little bit of help too yeah i so i think you have to talk to somebody about it i think the current situation is not sustainable mm. and they're on track to lose you and the manager, both of which are, are rough. And and maybe if things change about the situation by you talking to someone, you can adjust your situation, be more healthy at work, and also help your manager. Maybe keep both. Maybe maybe your manager leaves. Maybe you leave. But right now, doing nothing feels like feels unsustainable, as as yeah. you kind of pointed out. Yeah, doing nothing is definitely the wrong choice here. But I don't know, Jameson, I'm not sure I agree with going to talk to somebody else about this. Yeah. I, I think if I'm going to talk to someone, I would talk to my manager. You know, mm. it, they're, obviously, they're not in a situation where they can really do their job at all. I mean, the fact that you had a performance review and you were like, hey, let's talk about you're hoping to talk about getting a raise because you're doing their job. <laughs> you know, like, help me out here. And instead, your manager was completely unprepared to talk about that. Probably is going just such a hard situation right now that just basically doesn't have the capacity to even do their job. And I would talk to them Mm -hmm. about that first. I would probably say, hey, look, I just want to be really frank with you. I care about you. I want you to be happy. I know you're going through some really hard stuff. We need to find a solution to the current situation where your life is making it very hard for you to do your job. And I'm, I'm covering for you a lot. Like, let's just say that out loud. Like, I'm covering for you a lot. I've been happy to do it, but there needs to be a timeline on it now. Like, we need to talk about either 
you know, a, a time when it will end. I don't know if that's weeks or months, or we need to talk about pay change or responsibility rearrangement or something to make this work out. Because right now I'm trying to do two jobs and it's, it's actually too much for me, you know, and then let them kind of take the lead on how they want to take that from here. That's what I would suggest. So I think I can appreciate you suggesting talking to them because whatever happens is going to affect them. I would not have high hopes that this manager who's just struggling to do the, the kind of the bare minimum because their life has fallen apart is going to resolve that. I know. Anyway. I know you're right. So I guess to me that, that feels like a courtesy. Yeah. Like I feel like you have to give them the solution. chance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I think you're right. I'm like, I would give this a chance, give them a few weeks, like let them know. I mean, look, they're not thinking about you, right? They're just barely holding things together, <laughs> you know? So they're not, they're not thinking. They could be thinking about you and just like racked with guilt. I know yeah. when there are times where I feel like I am I am slacking in some way and I know it, it feels awful. Yeah. Um, but it also, it, it might help to have someone acknowledge it where they're, they're, maybe they're kind of like waiting for the shoe to drop, waiting for people to notice and, and, and they know it's coming and that's a bad feeling to have it hanging over you. If, yeah. if, if you bring it up, it's sort of like, yeah, this is happening and, and we need to do something about it instead of just like someday I will be fired. Yeah. And, that, and that's why I'm soon. hopeful that having you bring it up directly to them before taking it to their manager or to HR will be that moment for them to kind of snap out of it a little bit and, and refocus some of their energies on fixing this part of their problem. Because it, look, this is a, this problem has like 10 huge variables that are all like raging in your face all the time. And right now the job variable is under control at least like it's not, it's not burning in their face. It's just kind of burning in the background, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, you've covered for them a long what time. What are you saying for the manager? Yeah, for their, the manager. Their job is, yeah. Their job has, has been like the one thing that's kind of under control, you know, compared to all the other things in their life. But your manager does need help. Like, let's not be mistaken here. Like, if they've, if they've gone to substance abuse, very unlikely they can just pull themselves out of this one without some serious help together with someone else. Not, I'm not saying from you but from someone who can ha- handle that. And I, and I would not You're expect add a third job, which is a, a therapist. Yes, for this gonna add a new job. <laughs> Take on the responsibility of fix, just fix their life. Yeah. And then your problems will be fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's so simple. <laughs> <laughs> Lead the team, write your code and fix someone's life. life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm hopeful that by, by bringing this conversation to them in the forefront where you say, look, I'd like to work on this together now and and find a better balance of duties. Yeah, they've been racked with guilt, like you said, James. I think that's likely, but they haven't confronted this aspect of their life's problems yet. They've been coasting on this one, letting you handle it. And and that was wonderful of you, but you can only do so much and, and you need to f- make sure that you have an off-ramp before this thing breaks you too. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's a blast radius here. Yeah. So I would give them a chance. I think it's a professional and a humane courtesy to just give them a chance to say, all right, I am going to go talk to my own manager about this because maybe they need a leave of absence. Maybe they need some medical yeah. leave, you know, and, and look, if, if this is a manager of managers who they report to, this is not their first time dealing with a a health crisis or a personal crisis. So maybe there are tools yeah. in place for them to do that. Maybe some other manager can step in and cover for some of their duties so you don't have to cover them all, or at least maybe half of them, and then you can take the other half so you're now reducing your load by half. But yeah, like 
I would give them a chance, your manager a chance to resolve it first. I do think you, the question asker has clearly taken on a lot and it, it feels like they're being kind of self-sacrificing here, right? I'm sleep deprived. I'm trying to do this new job. I'm and I have a new baby. Do my job. I have a new baby. I think it would be helpful for you to sit down and enumerate what your needs are. With with me, I can get very sucked into like, well, the right thing to do is just suck it up and help and do more and give up more. And that's not healthy and sustainable. And and one of your needs is like I need to be able to spend time with this newborn, right? That's a just a just a blink of an eye over the length of a lifetime that they're that they're that young. If you have a, a partner, they're they're it's hard on them if, uh, mm-hmm. to, to be dealing with the newborn if they're doing it alone. Like it's a, it's a unique experience. That's wonderful. It, it's not wrong for you to say, I need to be able to do this and I can't. Yeah. And, and, and stuff has to change for me to meet this need that I have. That's, that's kind of non-negotiable. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I guess I'm bringing this up it, it, as a way to counteract potential feelings you might have of, of guilt of like, right. well, I'm, I'm being selfish, right? I'm, like I should just carry this. I'm going to impose on this. Uh, yeah, I'm going to impose. I'm going to make their life worse, right? I might out them. I might make them do more when they're struggling. Yep. And and yeah, both those things might be true. And it's still true that you have needs that are not being met by the current situation. So yeah. And I think it's also good to acknowledge in these situations that people can stretch. Like I'm, I'm talking now to the question asker. People can stretch for a temporary amount of time, uh, but not forever. And so mm-hmm. you know you it's hard to know exactly what that amount of time is. Like if you were to tell me, Hey Dave, listen, you need to take on essentially all of your boss's responsibilities. How many days can you do this before you break? <laughs> I'll be like, I don't know. Yeah. Like 10, 20, a hundred. I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but not zero, not infinite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's probably greater than zero, maybe greater than one. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you'll need to decide. You just stroll into the office the first day and say, good news, everyone work is canceled until further notice. Wash your hands. Responsibilities taken care of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like I couldn't, I can't imagine, I just can't imagine how long it would take. But you, as you live it, you start to know and it's okay to say it needs to stop now or I can do one more week, you know, whatever it is. Like, you know, you know what your capacity is and it's not really your responsibility to go 10x your capacity on these things. Yeah, also, if you're just thinking about it selfishly from the company, at some point, even if the situation is resolved, if it goes on for too long, you won't work there anymore. Like it'll just be, you'll be burnt out of that job. Maybe you'll have like ruffled some feathers because you right. have zero hours of sleep and you yell at somebody in a meeting. Maybe maybe you just have a bad taste in your mouth about the way the whole thing went down. So the, the date at which you quit out of frustration or get fired because everything falls over is not... Like you need, there's a date yeah. before that. Yeah, there's a like, date. That's I'm right. not going to work here anymore. <laughs> even after this is resolved. That's the wrong date to wait for. <laughs> that's not the signal yeah. you're looking for. I, yeah. al- I also want to just say like all of this will pass. Um, this whole situation will pass. I can't say exactly how. I can't say for sure that your manager will have a positive outcome or a good recovery, but they might. Um, but I can say that the situation that's happening now will not be the situation forever. So another perspective here is to just kind of, see how long it goes and with the 
with the understanding that helps you cope that this is temporary and it won't last forever. And six months from now, you'll look back and go, wow, this, that was a rough situation, but it's totally different now. So I don't know if that helps yeah. you, like helps increase the, the amount of time you can carry this, but sometimes that perspective helps for me. I like that as perspective. I just would want to make sure that doesn't lead you to not address it. Yeah, for sure. Pass someday. Yeah, I do believe. I, so I do believe. sooner. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> I do agree that uh, even though that time will take care of this problem in some way, that it behooves you to act today to talk to your manager about how you're going to get it done. Or if you follow Jameson's advice, go talk to HR. But, you know, that doesn't usually end well. So <laughs> <laughs> my advice in general doesn't usually end well. Oh, anyway. All right. Have this we is a rough the question. One. Bit of a downer. Good luck. It is rough. Tons of sympathy goes out to this, this poor manager who's got a life in crisis. We hope, hopefully everything works out for them. Yeah. Best of luck. Yeah. All right, okay. Dave. Do you want to read the next question? Yeah, this one is from an anonymous listener who says, Hi there, longtime listener, first time caller. I've been working at a small seed stage startup for a little over a year as a senior individual contributor and team lead. There are developers on another team who have been working at the company longer than me who have dot 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 questionable practices. For example, in production, they set their log level to debug because they claim it is critical for them to find and fix bugs. However, I've never seen or heard of an example of them actually using these logs to fix a problem, and this results in log spam and higher cloud costs. Whenever I try to open a dialogue about this or another one of their practices, they're quick to deflect and insist on not changing anything. They don't get defensive, but just don't want to do anything differently. Usually I give them my opinion and let them handle their own services, but we're seeing real financial costs to their decisions. I know our greatest costs are on people, but I think we should still be responsible with our cloud spending. How can I get these other developers to quit their job? (laughs) With a little trademark logo above quit their job. Or otherwise be more open to new ideas for their practices. Well, I got to say, that's the first time we've been asked how I can convince someone else to quit their job. That's that's meta. I like it. Yeah. You got to get them to listen to the podcast. Oh, man hear how many times we beat that drum. People are funny. They're quick to deflect and insist on not changing anything. It's it's so easy to examine a situation and decide that actually everything I'm doing is correct and everything I know is right. And like, yeah, people are saying stuff, but they're wrong because yeah, <laughs> like, they're not saying the thing that I think. Right, and they're not as close to it as me. You come up with a lot of reasons why they're wrong. Yeah. We need these debug messages, even though they cost $5,000 a month. And I've only used them once in the last year. Yeah, I have. I do have thoughts about that. If you're talking purely about the cloud spend, you could do some back of the envelope. Maybe you don't know how much everyone makes. I don't know what kind of startup it is. But you could do some back of the envelope math and estimate just like a median developer salary for your location and then figure out how much that is a month. And then if you stare at what your cloud costs are a month, I suspect that's going to be like single digit percentages of the total cost of, of cloud cost plus headcount mm-hmm. and, and payroll. Mm-hmm. So it's possible it's not. And then maybe it's something to work on. But say, say they're spending $1,000 a month on these log messages and your total cloud bill is like $5,000. And it seems huge. Like, oh my gosh, that's 20% of our cloud bill. Like, yeah, it's a lot of money. And also our payroll is like a million dollars a month. Right. So if you take it from 5,000 to 4,000, congratulations, you have, you've shifted a grain of sand. Yes, congratulations, you have created a rounding error. Yeah. It's a good point. Yeah, so, so there's a way to think about the cloud costs. I mean, 
Clark costs kind of do always go up and, and yeah. If, 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 if you spend a thousand extra dollars a month on logging long enough, then it'll add up. But like the urgency might be lower to them than it is to you if, if they're thinking about it that way. But maybe it is a huge number. Maybe it's like $15,000 a month and, and it's most of your cloud costs. And yeah, even if it's a small amount of total spend, it's still rough. I would be more concerned about the, about making the logs harder to use for real things. Like if they're just spamming yeah, like the debug stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then then I'm just not going to look at it, it'll be more work to filter the logs down to look at actual production fires. So I feel like that gets into like productivity and and that's where your cost starts going to spend more of these precious developer hours which are way more expensive than storing logs to dig through it. I guess my point is it's costing us money does not necessarily feel like the most compelling argument yeah. for why they need to change their practices. Yeah, I agree. Unless you've got strong numbers here, I'm also latching onto the fact that this is a seed stage startup. So seed stage, for those that don't know, is pretty much the earliest stage in a startup. It's like stage zero. Yeah. And usually what this means is that you're building a product. You don't know if it will serve a market. You don't know if the market is really there. You don't. You might not even have any revenue yet, might not have any customers. And so the yeah. thing to optimize is not operational efficiency. The thing to optimize is rapid iteration and product development. So anything you can do to speed up new feature development and getting new product into the hands of potential customers faster is where you want to put all your resources. Now, if, if your infrastructure in this case is a little bit more expensive than it should be, or even a lot more expensive than it should be, it might not matter because if you divert engineering effort away from what I said earlier, putting new product in the hands of customers quickly, then you're actually potentially putting the whole business at risk by optimizing yeah. things like log messages. So yeah, that, I worry about that. Now, if this was a established company running on thin margins with you know just barely cash flow positive and there were opportunities for cash flow improvements here, I would go for it because look, you've got customers, you've got recurring revenue, things are looking good. It's time to to get efficient. But efficiency is just not the objective in, in seed start seed stage startups, except for when it comes to getting new product in the hands of potential customers. Yeah. You spend a day tuning the log messages after a day of fighting with this team, and your runway is six months long, and now it's like five months and yeah. thirty days exactly. and twenty-three hours and fifty-five minutes long. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Now, if they're blowing so much money that it, that the infrastructure costs and hosting costs of your of your product are actually starting to shrink your runway, that now does it does affect the uh, ability for your company to survive. And so you know that, and that's totally possible, right? Like it, it's pretty easy to run a cloud bill up like crazy, where you're going, oh my gosh, yeah. this cloud bill is actually going to shorten our runway by fifty percent. That's a big yeah. deal. But if it's shortening your runway by like one tenth of one percent. I would ignore it. Yeah, it's easy to click your click buttons to death. We are kind of narrowing in on this because they said, for example, and then this is the example they gave, but presumably there are other questionable practices. Right. right. And then you're in a, a common situation, which is how do you influence without authority? You're not the boss of yep. this team. You don't even work on this team. It's another team that you're looking at and saying, you. I think you are doing things wrong. And you have tried to convince them to change. They're quick to deflect and insist on not changing anything. They're not sold by your pitch. It was not convincing enough to overcome the cost of doing stuff differently. If you really feel strongly that they really need to do stuff differently, 
the case you have made to them is not enough. And it's it. one common thing I see is talking about practices in a vacuum or without the context of what the team has to do right now. So we've talked about logs. Say, say we're talking about tests, right? The team doesn't write any tests. And they see bugs and they fix them and, and their code quality could be better. Like there are reasons why they should write more tests, fewer bugs, better code quality, kind of better quality in general. But also they have this crushing roadmap of all this stuff they have to do <laughs> to save the company, to make it continue to exist. Mm-hmm. An argument that you should slow down to write more unit tests because it is the right thing to do is unlikely to convince them in this case. Right. So, and I could definitely be telling you stuff you already know and have already considered. But if you just tell them you should do this thing because it's better, it, it might be better in a vacuum, but the cost it would take to change to that practice is is worse for the team because of all the other stuff they have to get done. Exactly. Like, cool, we have unit tests and we didn't we didn't ship this product and the timeline for unit tests to pay off will be like two years and the company will die before then or whatever. I don't know. That sounds very, very existential and, and intense, but but it, it is it like, that, like that. Seed stage like, startups yeah, are, are all sure about it. We should do that better thing. Yeah, yeah. Like cool. That would be better, but it is better to exist and to yes. have that better practice. You know, they say uh, one of my favorite quotes, which I have quoted on the on the show before, is there are two kinds of startups, those that fail and those that are embarrassed by their code. And in this case, embarrassed by their debug messages. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's like sometimes to survive, you have to do things that are not your favorite and maybe cost dollars, but save engineering cycles. So anyway, may- maybe that's all true. But I actually, James, and I want to go back to what you said earlier, which is how do you influence without authority? And I'd like to kind of switch my mindset from the question asker doesn't have grounds to stand on to make this case to the opposite, which is this is something the company needs to do. It is expensive. How do I influence this team Mm -hmm. to change it? Well, nothing speaks stronger than hard, cold numbers. And if I were you and I had access to their infrastructure or their cloud bill, I would pull it up and I would take a look at what's actually being spent. And I have found that this goes a long way to motivate behavior change. I have started at a few companies and one of the first things I will do is pull up the cloud bill and just go line by line and read and understand every dollar that we're spending every month. Very informative. And often this will lead to a dozen questions that I ask and I'll say, what's this uh, elastic search cluster for? And they'll be like, oh, we forgot to turn that off. You know, like that's very, (laughs) very common. But the point is you come up with dollar amounts and then write them down and see if you yourself can make a written case that actually convinces you that something needs to change here as viewed from a disinterested third party who only cares about the business and you know operational efficiency. Then if you're convinced yourself in what you've written, put the writing in front of them too, in front of the people who can actually enact the change. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It feels like a Dave thing to say. I appreciate you, <laughs> you talk about data a lot. Very Dave-like. So that, that also is... is it's clearly applicable to things like cloud costs where there are there are easily quantifiable oh, yeah. costs to them. Yeah. I'm imagining there's a lot of software development practice stuff going on here. Like, yeah. I don't know, the way you create your release branches or CI, CD things or linting or any, any number of things that you think are the right way to build software. And those are a lot harder to convince people that don't want to do them <laughs> to do because it's just harder to get data on them. They're a lot fuzzier. It yeah. gets into taste and opinion and 
One thing I have seen help here is, man, I'm going to sound so businessy when I say this, but I'm going to say it anyways. President business. President business chief chief of business executive <laughs> aligning with the vision of the i don't know the organization as a whole so maybe maybe the engineering leadership there has has a value of like we iterate really quickly mm-hmm. and if you can then tie these practices to that value it it becomes more motivating or maybe it's like we build the highest quality stuff and we and we sometimes take longer to do whatever yeah. the decision you make is of it should be something with the trade-offs so you're not just saying we we do the best thing whatever that is all the time because it feels <laughs> yes yeah. yeah this 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 depends on having some kind of coherent vision that involves like trade-offs and, and how you handle them but if you have it if you can tie back what you want to do what you think they should do to that and and talk about how it aligns that could help motivate as well sort of like well we want to be the kind of company that iterates really quickly and so if you spend a couple days setting up this practice then i think it will help you iterate more quickly and even in the timelines we have to work in i feel like it will pay off and and move us more towards the type of the type of engineering team we want to be yeah i think i think uh, i really like your idea of kind of rooting your arguments in the company's expressed values but I also think this is really hard territory. If you actually, like you've got a team, they operate one way, they like it. It seems to be working for them, at least from their perspective. Very hard to come in and have them change that. Unless you can point to specific problems that their practices have caused, you will be unlikely to change their opinion or anyone else's. But if you can show up with a list of like five issues that were created because of this team's practices, you likely have a lot more success. But if you can't, if all you have is like, this doesn't seem like a best practice to me. And yeah. based on my experience, this isn't good. Then I just don't even think it's worth raising the issue. It's hard to do this even top down. Like the CEO of the company could be like, well, we have to write more unit tests. And if the team doesn't want to, and it's been working and yeah. they, they feel like they have too much to do, like, I don't know. Yeah. Probably not gonna without some some tight scrutiny and enforcement exactly whatever the whatever the practice is like i'll I'll give you an example so i I started a new job about eight months ago and the branching and deployment model that this company uses was different from any model that i've seen before well sorry any successful model i've seen before i actually (laughs) i i had seen this branching style done or something kind of similar to it in the past and i knew that there was an opportunity for commits to get lost you know, where it's like people deploy code, but then later that code doesn't get remerged, doesn't get merged into the mainline branch. And so then later someone deploys something else and that one is missing. And so we actually like lose features. that code in it. Exactly. So like we yeah. lose bug fixes or bugs from a customer's perspective, bugs reappear or features disappear. Yeah. And I had, I felt pretty strongly about changing this model because I was like, hey, listen, I know from experience that if your process allows for commits to disappear, then they will. Like they will find a way to get out. It's like water in a leaky bottle. You know, you, it's like it will find a way out. Somebody will forget yeah. to do the thing. Exactly. So I, so I made a case for it and I, but I waited and watched. I'm sorry. I made a case by writing kind of my own analysis of the situation. And then I waited and watched for a few months to see if we had any issues actually introduced by that leaky commit problem. And 
a couple of opportunities showed up where I'm like, oh, maybe that was it. And I, de- I did a deep dive with the engineer to kind of understand the root cause of a couple of issues. And nope, turns out neither of them were lost commits. And then I found out that the engineering team had put in place some extra mechanisms to kind of ensure that as a developer, there were certain steps you couldn't take unless you had all the latest commits integrated into your branch, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, I have actually converted to loving this new model because there are some other advantages that make it really, really beneficial over the traditional model that I had, that I had used. And so now I've, I've gone from being enemy to friend on this thing. And it was actually because I tried to make a case against it and I couldn't make an objective case that would offset the benefits of this model. So, you know, this is an example where I actually like talked myself out of it. <laughs> I was pretty convinced though. I'm like, this has got to change for sure. Nope. Now I love it. Yeah. That kind of gets into the Chesterton's fence idea, which is, I need to look up how to explain this more concisely. But basically, you don't change a thing without understanding why it's there in the first place. You don't you don't just change stuff that you squint at and seems wrong. I have also started a new job and have experienced that that same feeling of like, wait, why do we do this? This seems, yeah. seems like we should not do it this way. And then... And sometimes you're right, you know, because you yeah. have fresh eyes, right? But not always. Yeah, but... but <laughs> I feel like more often than not, I am I am wrong in my initial snap judgment of this seems weird. We shouldn't do it this way. And then I dig in and understand why it makes more sense. So so I think what we're saying is... Your snap judgments are wrong sometimes? That's so weird. Knee-jerk <laughs> reactions aren't right? That can't be. Yeah. If they're always wrong, then it's pretty easy because I just do the opposite <laughs> of my snap judgments and then I'm always right. But they're they're right often enough that I can't just invert them and be I've tried better I've, off. I've actually tried that technique where I, I just second guess myself because I know that certain <laughs> impulses are, are wrong, it, especially with navigation. And I got to tell you, it doesn't work. I'm like, I feel like turning left here, so I'm going to turn right. And then I'm like, oh, but maybe that's just me telling myself that I feel like I turn left and so I'm turning right. Maybe I should turn left. Yeah. And Anyway, I just end up getting lost. Anyway, I'm just so bad at navigation. <laughs> You're so bad that not even doing the opposite of the wrong decision is the yeah, right decision exactly. for you. It's like my mind is one step ahead of me, guaranteeing I make a mistake. Yeah, no matter what, you will always pick the wrong direction, no matter how many, how many levels of yes. second guessing you dive into. <laughs> I toggled 13 so I times saying... and still went the wrong way. <laughs> How did it know? <laughs> oh, my brain is so smart. If only I know. could use that intelligence exactly. to be better at navigation <laughs> instead of outsmarting me. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I think what you're saying is investigate the practices a little more and be, if you do want to change them, it's going to be a lot of work. Yeah, and so it might not some be worth of the it. Work, <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it might not be worth it, but also understanding why could help why they do it that way can help you make a better case against it, or it might also convince you yeah. of, of why it's not that bad. Yep. But once you've done a few of these deep dive investigations to truly convince yourself that something is good or bad, I think what what I have found is that over time, the candidates for scrutiny have to they have to be really strong for me to actually invest the time. And I'm like, that's just not worth it. A lot of yeah. the time. Yeah. I found that over time too, as I, as I age and become wiser and more, more jaded, slower. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And slower. Like before I had this, <laughs> this worldview of how things should be. And any deviation was enough to get my hackles up. Yeah. Like, Wait, yeah. that's not, I read this blog post four months ago that said, we shouldn't do it that way. We should instead do it this way. Yep. And I have noticed that I'm a lot more willing to say like, Eh, maybe I'm wrong. It's probably fine. I don't know. It doesn't, 
<laughs> yeah, if I could, if I could, without cost, change everything to my liking, maybe I would change this. But it doesn't rise above the yeah, yeah. the level of worth it for the effort it will take. Exactly. So give up. Yeah, That's just give advice. up. That's the answer here. You got to care less. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Everybody good luck. Be caring all the time. I know. Have we answered this one? I think we have. Okay. Yeah. Best good luck. luck. What can people do if they want their own questions answered, Dave? Well, this one I can tell you exactly what to do. Go to softskills.audio and click the ask a question button and then type the opposite of what you think you want to ask because obviously you got to second guess yourself. And then we'll try to reverse yeah. engineer what you meant and then we'll answer again. We'll give the opposite answer of what our, we originally thought and then together the, the two negatives will cancel each other out and you'll get the answer you were hoping for to the question you wanted to ask. And you can fill out that form with as much or little information as you want. And as always, we send out a big thank you that we just transmit over the ether of the universe to all of those who have submitted questions. We love them. You keep us going every week. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll catch you next week.